trying to think which side of my bum is better to sit on. <laughs> you do do a little shovel, can't you? Yeah. I generally go dead set square. You know when sometimes you, you sit down and, and you realise that you've got the perfect position <laughs> and you're like, your, your bum's not sliding too much and you've just found this perfect moment, you're <laughs> this perfect position. It's like, so now I've moved and the, the back of my shirt's creeping up a bit too much, but yeah. now I'm good. More on the left side, I'll have to change at some point. <laughs> I sound crazy already. <laughs> and when you get a sweet one, you don't want to shuffle. Yeah. And then your leg falls off. Dead leg. <laughs> Ryan, thank you for coming on the podcast. Jez, I'm genuinely <laughs> privileged and excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I am. Yeah, man. I've, I've loved... Um, we've been talking a lot in the last few months in mm. general. Um, you mainly helping me through my anxiety. <laughs> well, no, well, it's just, just as a mate. Yeah. You I'm like a, it? I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm just I'm I kind of end up rambling a lot, and then I realise that you haven't said anything in about two minutes, and I'm like, am I making any sense? It's worked. Oh, good. If you can shut me up and not did I fix you? Pretty much. Yes. Very close. Very close. I just want a little bit of recognition. <laughs> a little bit of recognition for that would be lovely. Thanks. I've just finished this week the book that you recommended. I read Lost Connections. Oh yeah. By Johan Hari. Yep. Blew my tits off. You, you, you mm. premised it with the two points of the, the antidepressants, the most successful product ever sold. Most profitable man-made product ever released. Crazy. Mm. Coupled with there's no scientific evidence to show that it actually heals depression. Yeah, there's never been any, um, there's never been any uh, medical evidence or scientific proof that antidepressants do anything to and this is what Johan Hari is, is sort of saying in this book yep. that says that it does anything to help um, and then when you pair that up with the fact that it's the most profitable product of of all time ever it kind of it kind of makes sense and you can't help but be a little bit cynical having said that though a lot of people take them and it works yes. so it's it's not it's personal preference I guess and I don't I luckily don't have to take them at this point so I'm 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 not really speaking from experience. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I generally love, have loved and found it very... I mean, on that book first, just it blew my mind in terms mm. of um, really woke me up to the real cure for depression and anxiety being human connection yeah. and this tribal sense. Like uh, he quoted someone that said, this is the first time in known history where humans have unknowingly dismantled their tribes. Yeah. And, and we're essentially walking around um sad and confused as to why we are sad yeah it's um it's 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 weird when you think about it like that because for a long time you know i kind of almost convinced myself that it's good to be i just like my own space and don't like going out and seeing people but then whenever i would i'd be kind of i'd like it but it's kind of getting yourself to that event or the party or whatever the dinner with family or with an f- old friend that you kind of can convince yourself that uh it's not my perfect night that I can imagine so I'm just like no I'll just stay in and then you end up staying in and then you like flipping through tv or looking at something and you just think oh, this is I'm feeling like not very productive and this is boring and you just get a bit lonely maybe mm. and I remember when I so I, I was in like a 10 year relationship. And then when, when we broke up, I was sort of single for the first time in my adult life. 
and I and I had to make this sort of promise to myself to just say yes to doing everything because I think in that 10 years I became someone who will probably choose not to go out first mm. and I'll only go and do something with friends or with people if if either I can't get out of it or I really, really like the people mm. or, I ha- or I know what I'm stepping into. Mm. And so when I was in this space where I was like, I'm single and I've got, I'm living by myself now and I don't have, um, I don't have like that person that I can just come home to and you know that at least you'll be with them. So I kind of made this sort of, sort of promise that I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just say yes. And I was living in, t- in St. Kilda at the time. And, and I had to just always within reason, um, there was the guy that asked me to kill his friend, but I was like, I won't do that. That was like, that was my line. I was like, I won't commit murder. And, and, I, and I'm happy. I'm happy that I'd said no to that. Where did you meet him? Ah, just at, at the footy. <laughs> <laughs> Why did he want you? Oh, he just, he, it was random. He, he, he just asked me and I was like, oh, I know I'm saying yes to everything, but I'm going to have to draw the line. And I did. Good. Well, it's been one of the best decisions I've made, not killing someone. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so yeah, so it, it meant that like what, sometimes I'd be at home like there were times where I was in my apartment by myself. It was like 10 PM in, you know, about to go to bed. You know what it's like when you're in that mode where you're like, you're just like, Oh, right, well, I'm just sitting on the couch, just really putting off going to bed for some reason. <laughs> and then, but I know I'll get there at some point, but it's now 10 and I don't know what I'll do tonight. But then someone texts you or something and say, Hey, we're at this pub. If you're out, do you want to come? And more often than not, I would say, oh, look, I've got a perfect excuse. I'm at home. I'm not out. I'll just miss it. And But back then I was like, well, I have to do it. So I would like get dressed at like 10 and turn my night into something. And whenever I did, I was just always happy I did because I'd end up in a situation that I didn't know what I was walking into, didn't know who was going to be there. And it was just a really good, I guess, practiced to do it. It was like a good promise that I made myself because it meant I knew that that was going to be the only way that I could get rid of the loneliness that I had or meet new people, meet another partner of some sort. Mm. And I kind of had to force myself to do that and bringing it back to connections. In hindsight, that's absolutely what it was. It was just connecting with people. And, and in a way that felt like, unsa- like a bit unsafe, I suppose, as well. Because like, you find it's, you're finding micro tribes in those activities or like, and, mm. and, and, and spontaneous, allowing yourself to be spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and being vulnerable to a situation that you, it, it isn't like, you know, you, so, you know, sometimes you find yourself at dinner with two people and you're like, I don't even know you two very well. Like maybe your good friends left or something's happened where you've like I had this the other night where I went out to meet a friend and I was meeting his friend and I don't I didn't even know this friend that well they're like a friend of another friend but he said hey we're near your house do you want to come meet us and he's one of those people that will one of those people that if you so if I said if you said to me hey let's go out for dinner and and I was like yeah great I'll see you at I'll see you at seven o'clock and then I rock up with someone else that you weren't expecting you know, like I love people that do that. Mm. I'm not that person, mm. but I love it when just someone just goes, "Oh yeah, um, Thingo's coming in five minutes." Yeah, it's great. And I used to be the guy like, "What? No, no, no! I wasn't. I wasn't briefed. 
Like, I was not prepared. What's his personality like? How do I engage with him? I have made an... We have agreed that it would just be the two of us and now you're bringing in someone that I don't know. Now I love it. Like, I yeah. just... I get excited about it. But anyway, so this guy was... I met up with him, hardly know him that well. He had another friend that I hadn't met. And I ended up at dinner with these two guys who were lovely. But if someone had said to me that morning, hey, do you want to go out for dinner with these two people? I'd be like... I mean, they're fine, I guess, but why? Why would I go? I don't even really know them. But it's just the best way to in, just grow grow the tribe, like make, mm. make it bigger and have more people that you can reach out to or more people that might just text you or say, do you want to come and do this thing? Mm. And yeah, the, and when I read that book, Lost Connections, it just all it all made sense in a way that it never really had. Mm. There's been a couple of books that I've read like that in the last couple of years that have kind of explained the, th- the things that I guess are kind of common sense and things that I knew and things that I, I guess believed in but had never actually put them into a framework that I could refer to. Mm. And, so, and the other one is The, the Courage to be Disliked, which is so the other good. book I, I told you about. Those books are just things, when I read them, I, I was just blown away, not because I was necessarily being especially with courage to be disliked. It's not telling you things that you don't know, but it's giving you like a practical sort of set of rules to follow to live the life that you want to live. Mm. And I'd never read anything that put it, that had all the things that I wanted in the one framework Mm. and they all complement each other, all the different rules and Mm. bits of advice. Mm. And that was, I mean, that was, quite life-changing for me that book mm, mm. it was great mm. and we've said this before but i i re- i think your reason it's so potent as well because i've read it after you recommended it and loved it mm. the reason it's stuck the lessons got deep in me is because it's the the narrative is essentially conversations between a, a philosopher and a student and so the student is really hacking into and dis- disagreeing at yeah. every point so you go on that journey yourself and he hits all the questions that you come up with and so therefore you and the philosopher answers them back so it's a very effective way to deepen the learning totally and and because yeah the student is just really cynical and the student is probably me 10 years ago or 15 years ago and it's great to have that character in that conversation because also you've got to read i think you've got to read that book you've got to be open to it like there'd be there'd be so many people i gave you the book because i'm like well you'll i think you'll get something out of it but there's a lot of people who i know it just it just wouldn't Mm. connect with them because they're not open to it Mm. i think you've got to be in the right headspace to read it in the right in a way where it actually resonates and that's another interesting thing i think it was in one of the books i can't remember out of those two lost connections or courage to just be disliked and it was the point that in of every 10 people you meet two of them will really like you and probably be friends for forever and one of them will dislike you and the rest will be indifferent Mm. and i found that stat really interesting i forgot about that yeah (laughs) because it's like it's just that whole thing as well of not everyone is going to connect with your find the frequency of your conversation interesting Mm, yeah absolutely which which is totally fine but i suppose it's just uh that's a part of finding your own tribe isn't it finding the people that um that you that you enjoy conversing with but also the ones that challenge you as well like i like the i like the freedom and friendship to be really honest and 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 um straight Mm -hmm. because i find that mirror 
super helpful mm-hmm. um, because often you can't see it yourself when you're in the, amongst it. Like, for example, my, my, my tendency is to be a bit OCD when I get emotional. Mm-hmm. So I, I lean into impulsiveness and compul- compulsive behavior mm-hmm. and it makes things quite messy. <laughs> mm. Well, what do you mean? Like, when you- like, so if I'm feeling uncomfortable and anxious, mm. my way of resolving it is to talk and to act on the impulses. And I've, I think it was in mm. one of those books, again, it said just instead of t- playing that tug of raw, war with my anxiety, which is essentially hinged to this sense that I'm not enough and an and, and insecurity of sorts, mm. uh, I just drop the rope. I stop. I, I thank, oh, yeah. I, I thank, the, thank the thing for like trying to be survival instinct on me and look after me. Mm. But then instead of acting on the impulses and tugging and getting controlling on people, just l- put the rope down and stop. You almost <laughs> like take it as a, as a sign that you go like, oh, okay, well maybe I shouldn't be. If, if this, if there's resistance against this thing, then okay, well maybe that's right. Yeah. Which is a hard, a hard thing to come to mm. because the, particularly when you voice you and you're not aware that that's what the voice in your head is actually doing. Mm. It's, it feels very justified and feels very smart in a way, but it's, mm. it's neurotic and, and insane. And anyone that knows me would say, you're not being yourself when you're being like that. Yeah. And, um, anyway, that, that's a really, that's one thing I've really appreciated of you is being kindly direct and, and offering things from your own experience rather than advice. And I think that's a really helpful way to, engage with someone <laughs> as a friend mm. <laughs> you know hopefully <laughs> hopefully but because a lot of the time we have a tendency to say you'll be right mate or like um toughen up or i mean that's less so these days but like an, an inc- a lack of ability to just be accepting allow and hold a space for someone to accept what they are yeah yeah and and knowing and being comfortable with the fact that it's okay to not be okay for a bit oh mate that's a huge one like that's that, that I, and I, and I think people, you know, in the in this sort of, yeah, I mean, I could like in in this world of like search for perfection, like trying to project perfection, whether it be, um, whether it be like that exact thing which you said, which is like, oh mate, you'll be okay, mm-hmm. or like when some the, the 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 guy thing of are you, are you if someone says to you you're all right and you go like oh yeah mate no absolutely fine. It might absolutely fine. Don't worry about it. But you are hurting, you know, so much inside or something horrible has just happened. It's like, it, it's like, I mean, to the point where it's like you get run over by a car and you're on the side of the road. It's like, mate, are you okay? Oh, mate, yeah, absolutely. No, nah, no big deal. No big deal. It's like the, it's like the Monty Python sketch, like just a scratch, like the kind of the, the knight, you know, the knight who gets, it's in, um, it's in Holy Grail. I, I think Life of, Life of Brian, I think maybe. Yeah, yeah. Or Holy Grail. I think it's Holy Grail. And they kind of get to, one of the knights gets to like this, it's like a the black knight, I think. And and I think it's Arthur, King Arthur, or just Arthur, keeps kind of cutting his limbs off. And he ends up as just a, as like just, just a torso with a head trying to fight. And he keeps going, oh man, I'm, I'm all right. You know, it's just a scratch. Keep coming at me. Like will not admit defeat, will not admit that he's, you know, that he's, hurt or that he's unable to fight wow and it's just which is kind of on one hand it could be seen as like courage and bravery but on the other hand it's just like admit that you're not okay Mm. because that's fine everyone has those things and but then like the the other thing i'm rambling a bit here but Mm. then the other thing is the sort of the perfection projection thing 
on Instagram or whatever, where we only show the good bits and don't show the bad bits. Um, so that is essentially a way of saying to everyone, I'm not only fine, I am fucking flying. Like <laughs> things are very good. Things are very, very good for me right now. Family's good. Went on this awesome holiday. My job, which is not a great job, but I'm having fun there with these people. I'm inspired. Uh, I'm relaxed. I'm eating well. I exercise a lot. Like they, this is the life that people put out there. More often than not, that's not their whole life. And they're not necessarily saying it's their whole life. But the perception when you look at their life on their Instagram page is, well, they're, God, I'm envious of their life because mm. look how good they've got it. Mm. So that's, that's the, the biggest problem at the moment is this sort of fear of admitting that we're imperfect. Mm. Mm. I wonder what, why is that, do you think? It's like this vulnerability, particularly for guys, I, find, I think they find it really hard to just be frank and I suppose you can only hone it into yourself like Mm. for me I guess it's this sense of um fear that I I won't be accepted for my flaws and all like I'm I'm worried that I won't if someone sees my neurotic behavior I don't don't, I mean I'm not worried about showing it because I do show it but I'm worried about um not being accepted for it I guess or embraced for it yeah and it, it always surprises me which is a bit crazy when you think about it because who wants to embrace neuroticism <laughs> no but i think it surprises me because you always come across as because you're so open and i mean you've got this podcast and you, you are so open and and so vulnerable so much of the time that it it seems quite effortless to me like my my perception of you most of the time is that it's effortless for you to be open and loving and vulnerable mm. um so it's it's strange to hear that it's, it's hard for you to do that because that's I, I i align that with you like that's when i think of you i think of someone who is just open and and that's that's sort of your your default really yeah i guess yeah it is I'm a bit. I'm still learning why it's there, though. Like it's it's been a bit of a compulsiveness, and of and a flip from growing up in like a really religious group, mm. and only being vulnerable with that lot, and feeling the rest of the world can't have me. Yeah, right. And then flip into everyone can have me, mm. and um, and then realize learning from that that not everyone wants me. Yeah, but 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 then I I reckon, and this is like Brene, you know, Brene Brown Ooh. is she's brilliant as well and so someone put me on to her like end of last year or something <clears throat> and she's all about shame and vulnerability and sort of recognizing this this shame that we're all carrying around like all of us have got this shame in our past or something mm-hmm. that we can't we don't necessarily think about but has just sort of created the person that we are now like something happened in 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 our past that has sort of formed a belief that we now tell ourselves is is true and um i've lost my train of thought but um she she talks about shame and she confronts it with her technique of the work right yeah she she talks about vulnerability as like being oh that's right so when i read watched her like ted talks and you know read her books and stuff i kind of realized that like I, we all love it when someone is vulnerable. Mm. Like when someone, like when some actor, to put it in really broad terms, like an actor wins an award, like an Oscar or something, and they cry. 
and they kind of just let down their guards and their armor and they just sort of are really honest and vulnerable for a moment everyone loves that like everyone loves that because it's real and it's there's a truth Mm. and it's empowering yeah and we and because we don't usually see that we were always seeing people like putting on this persona it's kind of boring it's like well yeah okay like i'm not really like you know you're spending time with someone it's like i'm not really spending time with the real person i think but that's okay because that's just what we do (laughs) (laughs) but when you see someone like really open up and are vulnerable Mm. like that's that's when we really love people i reckon we really connect with people when they Mm. do that Mm. and i like it's such a hard thing to do like i need to do it a lot more and everyone probably needs to do it a lot more or it's like when you watch an interview with a celebrity or an actor and the interviewer asks a question takes them to a story and they tell the story and the whole time they've been like their public self you know they've been talking about this and then a question gets them and it makes them break Mm. and when they break and then they can't hold the tears back and they cry or something and it's almost like this literal floodgate has opened and then once they've crossed that barrier and they're being vulnerable it's almost like this relief in them it's like well i'm here now i may as well just follow this and just be vulnerable and whenever you see that in an interview i mean how much do you just just feel for them and see them as like someone who is a real great person Mm. but for some reason we don't want to show that side of ourselves i I think it's also we haven't been taught how to Mm. like i think i i only know how to because i grew up in a church that it was the fabric of our relationships was vulnerability Mm. like you're to have a close relate a rich relationship mm. you be vulnerable and that's just a, it was a basic mechanic mm. in a framework or a narrative around christianity mm-hmm. but that aside that mechanic itself was 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 the way it was but mm-hmm. it's easier when you've got an agreement with everyone in the group that that's what we're doing but yeah. when you're out in the real world and you and you be vulnerable to someone that's just like you got you got learn i had to learn some social skills like you don't just drop drop real deep with someone that's not really inquiring or interested although it's sometimes fun to play that game as well and just to go real deep real quick and see see how they react not to just shock them or anything but just out of like curiosity to see test yeah hey mate uh the tears are all good and stuff but i just want to eat my fucking burger (laughs) all right i don't want any part of this weird shit that's exactly yeah, so yeah. sometimes. You alright, mate? You alright? What the fuck's coming out of your eyes? <laughs> it's it's fascinating the dynamic of of human engagement and, and finding people that you resonate with, I guess, and finding your tribe. Because like what's what's been your process for finding your I guess your tribe or you know, your your people? Um I don't I mean I haven't I haven't really thought I think I haven't really I think probably as I get older, more and more, I'm more open to, um, I'm probably, uh, I make more of an effort to really hold on to the good people I meet. Mm. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean, um, clinging on to them, well, <laughs> but just like putting, invest in time in them. Yeah. And, and, and acknowledging that, oh, they're a good one. Mm. Like you're a good one. <laughs> you know, like, you, you know, I know the people in my life who are like the ones that I really connect with. Mm. And then there are the people who 
we're friends and that's great um, because we might be friends from a long time, a long time ago or at school or uni or whatever it is. And that doesn't make them any worse or less or anything. Like that. It's just a different type of connection. Yeah. But I think more and more, uh, especially where I'm at at the moment where I kind of want those people who I can really rely upon, mm. not just people who I can um, talk about school with, you know, like, talk be nostalgic with which is really good as well but i think there's more and more i'm just like oh you sort of start probably subconsciously making a list of the really good ones in your Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. and i think now i'm doing that more and more where i'm where i can and and you sort of and you almost know pretty quickly i reckon when you meet someone you you just you similar people and you just sort of connect in a way that you don't with another person Mm. and I mean, those people are just the best. Oh, I love love the way you describe it because to me, it's it's this it's this um, double hit of being able to be seen and 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 you feel so light with people like that, like you, like mm. with you, like I feel so free and light and to be myself. Mm-hmm. And if I get dramatic and intense and upset, you'll accept it. If I get really light and fun and playful, you'll accept it. Mm. And if there's something about that that I feel like is a really nourishing wide spectrum of experience with shared experience with someone yeah and and like i think everyone craves nourishment like like that i think to be seen to be well there's there's also like a bit of a there's a there's a trust and there's like a knowing that like i know i know who you are i know the broad spectrum of you Mm. um so like seeing all different sides of you in all different times that's fine because it's it but you know when you meet someone and they go all colors of the rainbow in the first meeting it's it can be yeah yeah it's it's full on because mm. like okay i don't even know this is weird that you're trusting me so much that's a really good point with this and there's there's a term for that but it's yeah i know i know i've done that mistake as well before you, you it's it's who trust in but it's also understandingly overwhelming for someone yeah because it's like i i don't know why it's dangerous yeah maybe and maybe there's like a there's because when you know someone and when like i know you at your like probably at your absolute happiest and most content and then when at the other end of the spectrum as well and everything in between Mm. and so when you're at that point in a in a relationship i think then that's great and all colors are great Mm. like they're all equally good because when you've got that sort of um relationship which i think we do it's like when you're i know i can see when you're down and so then i know how to kind of fill that void a little bit Mm. well i i Mm. try to fill Mm. that void absolutely um rather than being like oh is this what this guy's like all the time yeah yeah and if if it's sort of when you first meet someone and if they if you meet them and then they're down here and you don't know the other end that can be a little bit confronting because you're Mm. like oh okay well this could be a i don't want to get too close because this feels like a really heavy relationship that's going to require Mm. a lot of my yeah hard work yeah and like but when you know the person you just you want to be in you want to do that work because it's like you know it's worth it yeah you'd sort of trust in that you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do. Yeah. I also think it, it, it's, it says a lot about your ability to accept 
yourself at the level that I'm at. Like the fact that you can meet me wherever I'm at, like in, in terms of that spectrum, says that you can you also accept that part of yourself. I think because You're right, yeah, because when when the times that I feel like I I haven't been met or I can't meet someone else sincerely is because I I don't under I I. I'm not empathetic to where they're at. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. But maybe there are times, I suppose, as well, where someone like... Because we can never fully ever understand someone else's experience, let alone us, our own. <laughs> Ask me about anyone. Oh, really? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but, we, but we can also... We can visualize it or relate it to our own. Or, mm. So we can, we can actually meet people if we don't fully understand where they're at. And, and maybe that's just the power of empathy. But Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but Lost Connections, it just, I think it's, I'm so grateful you got me onto that book because it just, it made me really realize what to lean into in terms mm. of um, kind of elite healing um, the, the root of the cause of the anxiety mm. rather than just band aid in it. Um, yeah. And it's I, good. And, and it's also, he's really good. I mean, I really like that book. The reason I wanted to read it is because I know so many people who, struggle with anxiety and depression and I just I'm just I feel like I'm doing a lot more reading because I'm kind of sick of feeling helpless for them like Mm. so many you want to be there for your friends and I mean I work in comedy so it's quite a it's quite a big thing like depression in all performing and it's it's a it's pretty rampant and so I want to be able to be there for people as much as possible. Like I'm never going to be a counselor or a psychologist or anything like that. But the more information you have, the more you can understand it, understand where it comes from, why it's there. And the fact that it's not a chemical imbalance that is incurable. It's what lost Connections says is it's completely experience based. So what I was so excited about in reading that was finding out that if someone is depressed, even really badly, it's not game over. Like there's, mm. there's, there's a chance to come back from that. Whereas I sort of believe what I've been told, which we've all been told, which is that, well, you, you, if you're depressed, then there's something in your brain and you can try and manage it, but you can't fix it. Mm. It's just something that you've got. And that's that sort of comes back to the <clears throat> the antidepressant cell, um, which you know I'm absolutely not telling people not to take antidepressants because I I don't I'm not a doctor and they work for some people, hmm. but it was so relieving to read that and to um, to to find out that there is so much you can do. Um, well, there's so much that causes depression and anxiety, and there's so much you can do naturally. Um, to help it and to manage it. Mm. And that was really exciting for me because with all the people I know who've got it and, you know, I, I, we all get down. Like I have moments of like loneliness and when I'm down or I feel like I'm not enough and whatever it is, like we all do. And to, to, to read that book, I feel like oh, there were some tools that I could use myself, things I could tell friends and whoever that, help that you know i'd never had that before mm-hmm. yeah it's so good mm. what's what's been some things with your what, what most recently has been something in your life that you're that's inspiring you to get out of 
work out of bed out of bed every day you know like well i mean a really big one oh, i spoke to this guy end of last year at some point and this is the guy that put me on to uh brene brown <clears throat> excuse me and he just talked to me about purpose and I'd, I've, I've heard people, I've heard that so like my whole life. It's like, have a purpose. It's like, obviously have a mission statement, whatever it is. Like I've heard all that terminology, but I'd never really thought about it in relation to my life into myself. Like when you have a, I have a company with friends and we, you know, you got to, or you have a show or whatever it is, like everything you do or make usually at some point you figure out, okay, what do we do as a company or what does this show stand for? What's this podcast for? Like, but to apply, to give myself a purpose and like come up with a statement that I can sort of refer to and almost use as a filter for every decision I make that has to do with sort of work was completely revolutionary (laughs) for me. It was just something that I'd never thought of doing. And when he told me about it, gave me a few things to read and watch to sort of help me figure it out. And then I just started figuring out what that would be. And then when I landed on what the, my purpose is. So can, can, can you tell us why you started inquiring about one? Because I, I had a pretty massive realization um, probably about a year and a half or two years ago where I, was, I, first, I mean, I'd been reading different things and I'd read Courage Should Be Disliked, I think, and I'd read something else maybe. But I was just being very... I was just analysing my life a lot and kind of came to this realisation, which was, why do I do what I do? So I make comedy, I write TV shows, make, make TV shows, act, do Instagram videos, whatever it is. Cause there was also a time where I kind of f- fell out of love with Instagram because it just felt like it was sucking me and I became addicted to it. And, and I was just off it. And, and I, and I was, and I made so, there was a time where I made so many things on Instagram and people would really like it and people would tell me that they liked it. <laughs> and, but then I just stopped because I became kind of addicted, just picking up my phone, looking through it, becoming jealous of other people's careers, envious of people's holidays questioning my own life should I have kids because they're happy with kids <laughs> all that sort of shit <laughs> so I kind of deleted Instagram and, just, and I was like oh. but then people would say oh, you should make more of those videos I was like yeah kind of got me thinking why would I make the videos like what's the point mm. like what is the point of doing it so then I had this sort of like relatively for me profound realization which was um I realized that I was only like, this is very subconsciously deep in my subconscious. And I think ever since I really wanted to do what I do, which is probably like 13 or 14 or whatever, I realized that all I was really working towards was to a point where everyone thought that I was this creative genius, (laughs) you know, like I never said that out loud and I never said that to anyone or to even to myself. It's just this subconscious thing where it's like, I want to be the best. I want to have my own TV show. um, So everyone thinks that I'm brilliant. And when I realized that, I was like, oh God, that's okay. Well, 
that's not a very <laughs> helpful thing for the world for me to just think I'm brilliant. <laughs> and so then I kind of almost was th- talking it through and thinking it through with myself and almost talking it through with my girlfriend. And, and then I sort of just visualized myself at the very best um, outcome. Like if I get all that, and if my subconscious dreams come true, how does that feel? So like imagine myself on the stage at the Emmys, like being given the Emmy on front page of Entertainment Weekly in America and everyone's like, this guy is the best. <laughs> you know, yeah, so like, you know, funniest show of the year, mm. genius, hilarious. Mm. Yeah. So I imagine myself in that situation and I realize that I, it, it doesn't, I don't care. Like I, 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 I genuinely didn't care about all that. Because I was like, okay, well, now what? Well, but that's such a juxtaposition to the ongoing narrative that's been there for so long subconsciously. Yeah. And it's so amazing to just be that self-aware and honest. And I think that's an important step to elaborate on because it's like, because they would have gone through phases of maybe embarrassment or like, why have I been doing that? Or, but then you'd understand it because of the culture that you grew up in. And like, what, what were some of the like tosses and turns? Well, the, the, the culture that we're in is one that says, um, make a name for yourself, like do something and be the best, whether it be like, whether you're an athlete or an actor, pretty much everything that anyone does now, there's an award ceremony for it. And that's an award ceremony, which, which like rewards the person who's like been the best at what you do. So that's like the world that we live in. It's like, strive to be the best, mm. be number one. And so that's why it's subconscious because it's like, well, that's just what you do. Indoctrination. You know? yeah, yeah. It's like, well, they got a TV show. So I want a TV show as well. Mm. So I can feel good about myself. Mm. So I, I kind mm. of had this real, and, and then, so then separate story, but similar thing. I then read, after I had that realization, I read Andre Agassi's book open, which is really great. It's, I think it's sold like eight times more, eight times more copies than any other sports biography in ever, wow. because it's actually not about sport. It's not even, a, it's, it's, I mean, he talks about sport, but it's really about his, <clears throat> his journey of wanting, of spending a whole life wanting to be number one in the world at tennis and wanting to win a grand slam since he was four years old or something. His, his dad put a tennis racket in his hand and he faced like a million balls a year or something on a, on a, one of those machines just drilled into becoming a championship tennis player. And Agassi hated tennis from when he was quite young, hated it. But his dad was just this drill sergeant who just like forced him to play his dad started making money off him as well, like playing at different clubs. And he just became really good. Hmm. And it just became his thing. It's like, well, I can't stop until I'm number one. Then I'll be happy. Then that's... Th- so this is like goes on for ages. He becomes number one in the world. <clears throat> and it takes him quite a long time to win a Grand Slam. He gets sponsored by Nike. He's, he marries Brooke Shields. He's got this seemingly from the outside perfect life that everyone would say oh my god Andre Agassi he must lives in this massive mansion sports cars sponsorship millions of dollars blah 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 still hasn't won a grand slam so he's striving for this thing all in his in his head is like number one grand slam finally he wins Wimbledon and it's his first grand slam 
and it's the thing that he's been working for since he was a kid. And he wins and he's on the court and he described this in his book. He said, I won my first Grand Slam, the one thing I wanted, and I felt nothing. Did not give a shit. <laughs> and that was sort of his version. What a shock that must have been. <laughs> yeah, pretty disappointing. <laughs> but, but like, so then the reason, so the guy that I met with and he who told me about how important it is to have a purpose is the the way that he describes that that you need to find your purpose is how can you serve others like what can what do you do that helps other people like forgetting about how it helps you or how it makes you feel um a big part of like courage to be disliked and there's a bit in lost connections i think about it as well is that um that feeling of like serving others or helping others or do, is that is that releases I think scientifically the most endorphins mm. like that's the real thing that that makes you feel good is when you're because it does feel good like when you do something for someone else drive someone to the airport do just an act of kindness um, that's what feels great so so, so then the, the great thing about a purpose is coming up with a statement or some sort of sentence. So, and just on that quickly before we move on, the thing I liked about the way they described it in uh, um, Courage to, to Be Disliked is that it said so it's not actually the outcome of contribution, it's the feeling of contribution. Because mm. I, I, I think that's a really important mm. distinction that hit me because I realized that it's, it's self um, authoritarian or like, you know, like you determine. Your, your, a rightness in yourself where you feel like you're contributing and it's that feeling that's 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 your happiness totally mm. yeah yeah so so yeah so so the per- so this purpose it the statement that you come up with it has to um it has to cover how you are helping other people mm. so everyone whatever you do whatever anyone does whether they're like even if you're a, an accountant, which is not a not necessarily a bad or simple job, it's just a it's a, a very common job. Mm-hmm. There's like a few different ways you can approach that job, and most people, speaking generally, would approach that job and just think, okay, how can I get? I've got a job now. How can I get to the next level? How can I become a better accountant mm. that gets more money? How can I get to a better firm? And it all becomes like, well, I've, I want to become an accountant so I can make money and I can ha- get a good house and get a good everything, you know, and have all these possessions, mm. make my life better. So that's one way to approach being an accountant. The other way is going like, how can I help people? Mm. How can I like, I want to be an accountant so I can like say to my friends, hey, can I help you do your taxes? Or can I, you go into, you, you, you approach it from that perspective. And you could, you could arguably say, if you do it that way, yes, you might not make as much money, but you'll still be really successful because you're doing it for the right reasons. People will love hiring you as an accountant because it feels like you're there for them. It's not like this weird transaction where it's like you're just another person that they're, they're doing their work for, but really they just want to earn more money. Mm. So... So to approach any job from the point of view of like, what do I do and how does it help? What do I do that helps other people? And 
coming up with a purpose that encapsulates that Mm. um that is what i was told is the right way to go and it is completely shifted my perspective completely because i because it made me realize that to do what i want to do i don't need um i don't need a show on netflix i don't need my own show on netflix yes it would be great and definitely open to it um (laughs) because all it means is i can reach more people Mm. and i can make more people happy or laugh or whatever the case may be Mm. but certainly not because um it's going to get me more money Mm. if anything i would only really want to do it if i could do exactly what i wanted to do not just for the case what i used to be which is like just give me a show i just want a show (laughs) because then if i have my own show then everyone will look at me my family friends peers will go like ah he's doing well he's 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 made it he's done well (laughs) he's arrived he's arrived and when i realized that i don't i I genuinely don't get excited about that but i get so excited like genuinely feel so Mm. excited when you know i I do a show on my instagram page called cliff which is so silly and it's nonsense. It's so good. But I love it. I love making it so much because I get to make it with friends and it's just that, you know, instant broadcast like this, you know. But I, the, the happiest I get is when someone like tags their friend in Cliff because then they want to share it with someone else because yeah. they really liked it. It's like, that's the best. <laughs> like, that's what I'm here for. Like, yeah. that's what I want to do is like make things that make people happy and hopefully they can then share it with their friends and it just spreads. Mm. Like that's, that's the, the real win for me. It creates moments of, of joy in someone, doesn't it? When, when they, they're witness, because your, your comedy is like, in the particular, the way you do it, stuff like Cliff is like a little happy pill. It's like, tomp, tomp, and you, you feel like, and you feel this joy because it's just so, it's so clever, so original, so fast, and so funny. And also your your Insta stories of the beret and lippy guy, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so good as well. Mm. And you know where it's going, and, and you just love the end punchline, and you just it's just it's just gold. It makes you so happy, and I think it's that joy that you like even recounting on my face right now that it fills your your body with this like laughter and happiness and lightness, and and that's such a it's one of the best experiences we can have in this life, really, isn't it? See, just he- hearing you talk about it like that is just like, that is all, like, of course, you know, everyone tells you you want to get, get paid for your work and you want to get, and of course, you want to be valued for what you do. Mm. But that is the react, like, those reactions like that, to know, to, imag- to, to imagine you on your own watching that and feeling like that is just makes me so... <laughs> Like, I feel like I've done a good job there. <laughs> like, I've, that, that, that's what, that's the reason to do yeah, it. That's yeah. the purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And because I'm fascinated with your creative process. I mean, thanks for sharing that because I think that's super interesting and valuable to people to find, have, have a somewhat of a framework to find their purpose mm. and it being one of being of service, right? I suppose yes. that, that's, that's the key ingredient here. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and it's important. It is important to understand why, because that, it just, if you don't have the context or don't understand why that is important, it can come across as seeming like, oh, well, it's all well and good for you to say, you know, you've got a job and you blah, blah, blah. But 
it's just I, I just believe it so much uh, and it's and I, and, I, and I know there are people out there who get genuine um, happiness out of making money like I know there are people who really enjoy doing that mm. it's not me but that that is there are people out there but I think generally speaking to help people in some way even if you are getting paid millions of dollars to know that you're helping people like there are so many performers, actors who get paid so much money, but I believe that they are doing it for the right reasons. They just happen to be so popular. They just get paid a lot. Mm. But you know, there are lots of people who you just know, like Will Ferrell, for example, you just know that he's just doing that for the right reasons. Most of the time, Mm -hmm. at least it started off (laughs) as a place where he's like, he just likes making people laugh. He's clearly done it his whole life mm-hmm. and he loves it. And you can, there's a stench on people who aren't doing it for the right reasons mm. and you can tell. And it's harder to connect to those people, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Mm. What's the, um, what, for you, like making good comedy, what are some, can you share some of your processes for, for what the litmus test is for this is a good idea and I'll put effort into executing it? Yeah. Um, or like how they come to you. If you put yourself in a, <clears throat> a space where you allow yourself to f- kind of channel that genius. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think... I don't know. I, I think it, it all depends on the, the thing I'm making, mm. really. The, I hate... I have a sort of an aversion to doing anything that I feel like has been done before. Like I feel like my, the thing I'm always trying to do is trying to do things that are sort of new or different or play with a, with a, even like on Instagram. Like I remember when that first started, but the, the thing I'm thinking about is trying how can I play with the, the platform? How can I do something with this platform that other people aren't doing? Or, yeah, just mm. surprise people with an approach that they weren't expecting. Um, that's, that's important to me. And then also just silliness. Like, I really like silliness and I really like just joy. Like, it's, a, almost, it's almost, I think, more important or a, a more... Uh, I'm happy with myself rather than just something being funny... Like coming up with a joke that is technically funny on paper. And this happens, I feel like all the time, even with things that, you know, I've done as well. You write something down on a page in a script and you, it reads very funny and because it's very clever mm. or it's like you've done wordplay or you've referenced something from two scenes ago that is, yes, that is a very clever thing to do. But if it doesn't sort of, create a joyful moment and make someone laugh then it's kind of like it, it, it it's it's not sort of what i want to do mm. i think I, I, mm. I don't know if i'm really explaining myself properly no there, but you're putting a lot of ingredients out there <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm throwing a lot of stuff out there this is the weirdest meal ever there's so many things like yeah, chuck a banana in there chuck some keys in Mm. Does that make sense to anyone? I don't know. Maybe you can edit that into something that makes sense. 
<laughs> no, it does. It makes total sense. Like okay. you, you, you're talking about the things that make you do what you do and what you're looking to. Because I, I, one thing I liked about comedy that was described well in a recent podcast with Friendly Geordies is he quoted someone else that said, "It's in its simplest forms, it's taking two separate things and putting them together in a way that's strangely makes sense, but is surprising." Oh yeah, and I, and I like the things you do are that as well. Like it, it strangely makes sense, but they're always surprising. Well, that's good. I mean, the, the I remember Ricky Gervais once. I remember he was he was once asked what makes something funny, and I always really liked his answer, which was just context. Um, and I think that's really that's so true because. There are so many things that are only funny in a particular context. Right, right. You take away the context and you just have someone, you know, if, if you just hit someone on the head, like, you know, if, if it's like you're in a film and someone just like pours a glass of water on or like a glass of red wine on someone's jacket, this is not going to be very funny, but yeah. this is an example. Pours a glass of red wine on the jacket more often than not, that's not funny. That's just mean. Yeah. But if if you know that the context is, well, that jacket was passed down through generations and this was the night that it was going to be debuted in front of the family and yeah. it was all about this jacket yeah. and you have that context and then the, the wine gets poured on it. It's like, that's the last thing we wanted to happen right yeah, now yeah, yeah. and it's happened. Yeah. So that that's like the context yeah, that yeah. makes things funny. Yeah, that's a great way to explain it. And I don't necessarily think about that consciously when I'm writing, but... I just think you just innately when you're writing comedy or something funny, I think you just innately know that probably that that's what you have to do. Right. But I'd never really thought about it until like that until he, until he said it. Yeah. It's interesting to dissect from a logical mind, but it is, it's when you see a a comedian write or do their thing, it's the times that I've observed it the few times it's, it, it is so quick and flowy and fast that they would, couldn't possibly thinking about it in a logical way. Yeah. It's just sort of, yeah. I mean, it's like Hamish. Hamish is yeah, just, I was thinking. just mm-hmm. so, but that's why I think it is just innate. It's just mm-hmm. like some people are just so it's just in them. It's just sort of in them waiting and that their head just goes there mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. And some people are just very, very fast at it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a, quite slow to it like which is why i love writing like i love the the time just by myself when i'm writing and i i give myself all the time i need to kind of get to the the what i think is then the funny part so i can write it down and then and what i've been doing a lot like over the last couple of years when trying to come up with an idea or work through an idea is i'll go walking and I'll have my headphones in and do voice memos on my phone. Mm. So I'll just essentially, I'll talk for like an hour maybe and just essentially have a brainstorming session with myself, which is the best because no one can shoot down any of the ideas too early, which I feel like happens all the time in like writing rooms or brainstorming. Set. Well, you worked in radio, so, yeah. you know, it's like you sit in like the round table and you're throwing ideas around and it just takes one person to say, uh, and then the idea is just dead. Yeah. <laughs> So unless you're, you think fast and unless you're very decisive, it's just so hard for your ideas to, to get done. <laughs> you have round tables with yourself and it looks like you're on your phone. Yeah. But you're just chatting to yourself. More often, like it's probably 90% likely that if you see me talking on my headphones, I'm talking to myself because <laughs> I'm, I'm very rarely talking to someone on the phone. So it's probably just me. 
<laughs> and you're giving yourself supports and pats on backs for good ideas or oh, like- yeah I love my ideas <laughs> I love them <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a good it's a good thing to do actually because talking them out there's something about re- the fact that because of course you could just you don't need to record to talk to yourself mm. but there's something about the fact that when you're recording you feel an obligation to just continue talking and not stop and not get distracted mm. it's weird because it's being documented you feel like oh I should make this good. Mm. <laughs> How often do you listen back to them or is it just the process of knowing that you're recording it? It's more the process because I might talk to myself for 40 minutes or an hour and by the end of it, I've come up with like one idea, but it required that time to kind of right. get to it. But then sometimes I'll listen back to it if I you know, I need to write all the stuff down, I guess. And mm. what's, what's it look like? What, what's it like a brain ramp look like? Are you, are you saying, what, what's it look like? And what do I say? Like, what do you say? Yeah. So I'll, I'll literally go, I'll go like, okay, voice memo, start recording. And I go, okay, so I just want to talk about um, this idea for a podcast I had. Ah. Um, and essentially, I just... Just start writing. Like, or yeah. just like sharing. Like, people journal for the same reason, just spill it out. Yeah, yeah. And then I, f- I find that the more I talk about it and throw out ideas and refine them and it just, the idea evolves very quickly. And I get to the point where I'm like, oh, that's it. Like, I've got a bunch of great voice memos, which I wouldn't be able to find them. There's so many of them (laughs) where I've had the idea while recording. And it's when I've listened back to it, it's like, well, that is a really cool thing to hear. Like, it's so rare that you can hear your brain coming up with the idea. (laughs) Because I go, oh, that's it. That I'll do that. And then that character can say, that's it. That's it. And that's a really cool thing to have documented, actually. Yeah. Is um, Red Lippy and French Beret characters no. from that? No. <laughs> I don't know where I came up with that. I think that was just a case of... I think that actually came in... I think that... Because there was a week... Probably could figure out the actual week I came up with my purpose statement that we were talking about before. Because I was very active on Instagram after that because I felt quite inspired and yeah. I wanted to do lots of stuff. And I think it was in that week where I was like, I just want to do something. And I was looking through all the filters on Instagram stories, which I hadn't ever really looked at because I'd never, I'd never really done any of that before. Yeah. And I found that and I was like, well, what's the last type of person who would be wearing a beret and, and lippy and a face net? <laughs> and also, I just love doing those bloody blokes, mate. Just love talking about them. Love talking as them. Like, you know, you, you know, just like those fucking guys who are just like yeah mate absolutely like we're talking about before you all right mate you're good fuck mate big night few jars off the wood mate oh mate it's huge like those guys that lifestyle mm. i'd love to immerse myself in it for a week and see oh, how i cope i don't know if you would like it i would hate it but it's fascinating it'll be fascinating sometimes you meet those people who are like oh i would just love to spend if i was invisible yeah. i'd love to watch you just deal with the world man I, I, there's a guy at the wedding I, I was second shooting photography shooting at a wedding on the weekend mm. and this the, one of the groomsmen was just like chronically inappropriate yeah. like just saying the, the rudest like sexist things but just it was rolling off his tongue like it was, this, was, this is how we do yeah <laughs> this is normal he felt safe in that yeah, space felt- <laughs> yeah <laughs> what an idiot <laughs> little did he know Jeremy Khan's judging from afar <laughs> I just felt awful for the people that he was judging yeah it's horrible it, it, isn't it's it? just like yeah. saying just things that weren't helping the groom weren't helping 
Like they weren't helping anyone around him, but yet yeah. they were coming off his tongue like he was the be- the hero. Yeah, he had a mic, and he's been, and it's like that kind of old school um, belief that oh, if I'm talking at a birthday or a wedding or anything, you throw him under the bus. Yeah. You tell all the stories yeah. that yeah. like no one's ever heard. Yeah. It's like a roast. Yes, and it's like you know he's supposed to be your very close friend. <laughs> or brother he's like he, he looked to the, um, the the person that marries him whatever they're called the celebrant mm. <clears throat> and she was dressed in black he's like oh you're dressed in black it's like a funeral I suppose it is a bit like a funeral isn't it yeah oh and, god but just real horrible. quick real fast just just mowing people down yeah and just killing vibe <laughs> and the, the tough thing is is that like there are still people laughing in those situations like people get uncomfortable so sometimes they just laugh and he thinks that no this that's is killing right. the way that's true that's true I remember I was at an 18th once and, and the, the best friend did a speech about the guy turning 18 and it got to, it was so inappropriate. Like he started telling all the stories about where the guy who was turning 18, all the places in the area where he'd had sex, like in like gardens here and like on the steps here and all this sort of stuff. And he was very drunk and was telling all, and it got really uncomfortable to the point where the, the mother of the guy had to kind of step up and take the mic off the out of the guy's hand. Like that, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Oh, no. And it was a bit of a tussle. Oh, like, that, that, that's enough. <laughs> so horrible. It's so embarrassing. Yeah. But God bless her for having the guts to do that. Yeah, she had to because it was so. It was getting out of hand. It was amazing. <laughs> a great moment to be in. It Loved fascinates it. me the boundaries of social social etiquette and social. Limitations mm. in those kinds of situations. Yeah, what people are just willing to do. Yeah, and when someone's willing to put a pin in it or, you know, stop it. Yeah. And what people are willing to cope with. Like, yes. it's a, it's a fascinating... I'd love it if there's some kind of scientific study and you saw people's varied... The, the, the boundaries of which someone yeah. says enough's enough. Have you seen Darren Brown's The Push? No. Oh, you will love it. <laughs> what is it? It's a, it's a Netflix special... <laughs> And Darren Brown is like a... I think his name's Darren Brown. Mm. Something like that. It's called The Push and mm. it's on Netflix. And he's essentially... He's kind of like a, he's like a mind magician is what I think he would call himself, maybe. Mm. And he's... The Push is like this huge social experiment that they filmed. I won't even say anymore, but it's doing exactly that. It's testing people's... Um, like levels of politeness boundaries what are people willing to do to avoid seeming rude like what would people do you know are you willing to help someone hide a dead body hide a dead body if if it meant because you didn't want to like make them feel bad about what something you know what i mean wow and so he has he did this huge casting call um and they chose the people very specifically who took part in it, but they didn't know they were taking part in it. So it's all hidden cameras in this building. That's brilliant. It's, it's unbelievable. I can't wait to watch it. It's that. quite, I mean, it gets, it's quite haunting. Really? Yeah. Cause it goes quite far. Oh, wow. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just, and you, you live action, see people's reaction. It's, 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 um, it's real people doing heinous things, but, and it's all being filmed. I don't know how they got the release forms. Because if that was me, like if you, if you knew, because I'm assuming that they would have done it, filmed it, and then afterwards it's like, oh, hey, just so you know, we were filming the whole thing. You don't mind if we put it on TV. 
some of the stuff that they do and have obviously allowed to be on TV is unbelievable. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great. It's really good though. I can't wait. You'll love it. Yeah. Coming back to the the connections, like what, what understanding our culture and society, and I suppose let's be specific with Melbourne, um, how people engage in community sensibilities. What, what do you think are some things that will encourage people to, or tools or practical like pointers for helping people feel more connected and feel more of a community and tribe sense in in yeah. what is currently quite a fragmented like mm. individualistic society <clears throat> yeah I, I guess it's just i don't i mean i don't know i guess it's different for everyone but i the things i you try and make as many plans like plan mm. to see people and don't just don't just trust that you'll catch up mm. don't just trust that those things will happen because I feel like more often than not, we all, we all think that everyone else is out having fun. There's this feeling that like, if you're home, you just assume that everyone's out at like having this great big group (laughs) dinner somewhere or something, or they're at friends' houses because you saw one thing on Instagram of like people watching TV together. You're like, Oh God, well, everyone's having fun. Mm. But I reckon that more often than not, everyone's just in their houses on their own doing their own thing. So I, yeah, I think it's just sort of having like trusting in trusting in the hope that if you ask people to go and do something that they'll probably come and just do it. Mm. But it's but it sort of means that you have to be the organizer. You and you put to, yourself you take a little risk as well because it's the it's the possibility that they don't want to or they don't feel like it or yeah, they don't have time or you know whatever the downers yeah. could be. But you bit of vulnerability. T- bit of vulnerability. But mm. when you just chuck it out, they're like, yeah, I feel like doing it. And you don't question that and just do it. Yeah. It's, that's my technique for not ba- basically not giving my, my brain the chance to question it. Just yeah. do, it, do it quickly. I feel like asking them, I'll ask them. Yeah. And, and, and then it's also that thing I found it really helpful when I was, you know, when I became single for the first time in a long time of just doing, saying, giving yourself a rel- like a rule of some sort. You're like, I'm just going to say yes to anytime anyone asks me to do something, even if I don't necessarily want to hang out with them that much, just, just say yes and just open up the possibility that it could be good mm-hmm. because you just, we make these assumptions that things aren't going to be good. So, and because we, you know, because we say, oh, that's probably not going to be good or I don't like that person or whatever it is and you close yourself off to the possibility of a fun night because Mm. who knows where it's going to lead and more often than not and it's sort of just then an excuse to not have to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. because going out and meeting someone in any sense like even answering the phone sometimes when someone's calling you're like oh do do I really want to and then they're across the street and they're looking at you oh, doing yeah. that. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, it's, it's, you get caught. If Corvin's like, oh, nah, I can't be bothered. But then you just never know. And so it's, it's taking those little tiny risks. Mm. And it's like they're not even huge risks. They're just friends. Mm. But it's just putting ourselves in slight positions of vulnerability mm. that we have to do because, yes, maybe five times out of 10 that will lead to a situation that's a bit uncomfortable. Mm. But the other five times out of 10 
could be the best times of your life. Yeah. And so we've just got to, I think, be more open to the things that we weren't usually open to. I love that, man. I think that's a really crucial one because as you were saying that, I know when I do that. Yeah, when, same. Because it's like I... I look at look at it, and I was like, I don't even don't have the energy, or I, I, th- I expect I think it's going to be a particular thing, um, but to just to just have absolute. Um, I'm worried about all the friends that I, who have who have not received a call from me in the last week <laughs> that are going to listen to this, yeah, yeah. that I didn't pick up on. No, it's probably busy as well because I'm flat out. Yeah, flat out. You've got a chance. You got a podcast to run. You got a job, mate. You got so you got no time. You got no time, but but, but it feels. I, I like the feeling that you're talking about of doing that and um and letting go of your ideas of what it could be and and being open to what it what it might be. Mm. And it's the same thing walking down a street or talking to your, you know, when you're buying a coffee, being friendly with your barista, or like being mm. just just connecting with people. Yeah, and and or like walking down the street and smiling at someone else because they're they're on the same street as me right now so they're my you know they're my friend at this moment in time <laughs> yeah that might be a bit far but you know like having that openness of um and willingness and de- and desire to just connect beyond your expectation of an outcome i guess it, it's like, like a really simple version of it is i mean how often do you you see someone that you don't know um and you have a feeling like you want to talk to them yeah or you look at them and you and it's like maybe a gruff looking guy and yeah. you and you go like oh god they're not my person they're not my people yeah like you're just like oh god and then for whatever reason you cross paths and you end up talking to them and they surprise you yeah you're like you're like oh he's great yeah i would yeah. not have expected that i, I love thought that. he was like some footy guy that wouldn't be able to like talk about anything except for sport and then it surprises you and so a, a big thing encouraged to be disliked is that treating everyone as your as your comrades is mm. the way that they put it but it is an interesting um an experiment to, to try is to walk through the streets and just imagine how you would look at someone differently if they were your brother or sister or relative because it's because it's like you see someone coming towards you the natural yeah, most of our natural reaction is head down don't make eye contact yeah. certainly don't smile you don't want them to think that you're weird or that you know you don't want to make them think that you want to talk to them or get yourself into a situation that you have to, oh shit I'm trapped yeah. but like how would you look at them if it's like your cousin yeah. it's like well you would just go oh hi so it doesn't mean you have to say hi to everyone but it's, it's just a it's a perspective shift and it's, it, it, I, I, I've tried that a bunch and I, it does make a difference mm. because it means that you will you, it's a knock on effect of the waiter coming up to the table, the barista at the cafe, um, whoever it is, everyone's a person. Mm. Some people are going to be not nice or they're going to be closed off or they're going to have their own issues or whatever it is and they don't want to talk to you. Mm. It's not personal necessarily. It just means that they've got stuff that you don't understand or that you don't know. But everyone's got their own shit going on. (laughs) And so like the more that we just like... It's like that great thing that... Like Ben Shuri, who's the, you know, Ben Shuri, he's the chef at Attica. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, he said an amazing thing. So something that he does with his staff, and I'm, I, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but I think it's a known thing maybe. 
I'm saying it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I just loved it. So what, what they do at Attica is, um, for those who don't know Attica, it's one of the top restaurants in the world. It's um, very, very experimental, very expensive, but very nice food and it's often in like the top 20 in the world sort of thing. Mm. He's the owner and chef and he grew up in hospitality and kitchens and um, there's always this sort of divide between front of house and back of house. So like the people in the kitchen and the people in the waiters, always this sort of pressure between these two people, these two groups. And often that happens because, you know, the waiter, the waiters and the front of house staff, they're the cold face. So they're talking to the customer. So when the customer says, um, oh, excuse me, can you take this back because I'm allergic to celery or whatever. <laughs> the least likely. Allergic to celery. So they take it and say, oh, okay. So they go back and say, um, excuse me, um, chef, um, customer's actually allergic to celery. So, And then the chef who's really busy is like, oh, oh, God, okay, well, I didn't. I wish you had have told me. And they get annoyed because they're stressed. So they get annoyed at the waiter and then there becomes this conflict between the two but you can kind of apply it to any workplace if someone mm. annoys you in some way or isn't responsive in the way that you want or isn't doing what you want them to do you can get frustrated with them and it, it can you can get annoyed at them and then at a certain point you decide that you don't like that person because they just don't work with you mm-hmm. so what ben shuri does um, with all that experience he had growing up and working in kitchens is he realized that the only way for a harmonious working environment where everyone can work with each other and it's like it's a it's a happy environment and a, and a place that people want to come and work at is empathy is understanding each other and understanding where people have come from where do they live what's their family life like what are their friends like have they had recent trauma are they living with something or have they got no money are they has something happened to them the more you understand about someone, the more you really know someone, the more benefit of the doubt you give them. Mm. So what they do at Attica, I don't know how often they do this, but every single person who works there at some point, this could be weekly or monthly or something, maybe it's monthly, they have to get up in front of the entire staff. So whether this is the head chef or the, a waitress who's just started that week, they have to get up in front of the in front of all the staff and give like a presentation about their life pretty much Mm. and the way ben described it was like this isn't just like a two minute like surface thing he's like he gets annoyed and angry at people if they don't take it seriously like it has to be a proper sharing Mm. of of their life wow and he's and so his belief is that the more that you do that then when the, that waitress that you now know about and you understand that they've just moved here from Croatia and they haven't got any friends here and they're looking for friends, when she comes to the kitchen and says, hey... Bulletproof, empathy. Yeah, it's yeah. like the chef's like, okay, I understand that I'm not just going to yell at you because you're having a tough time at the moment or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I was like, that is unbelievable. Like, it's, it's something that most people wouldn't, do because it requires someone like the owner or the head chef to enforce it mm. and it's so easy it's way easier not to do that 
and to oh. just get on with the job, make the food really good, and get your Michelin stars. It's so good because it, it, yeah. it creates connection and tribe and belonging. Yeah, and we're in this together and and community. It's just it's yep. such a it's such a smart way to do it. Yeah, and you hear that, and you're like, oh well, that's that's great. Every single workplace should be doing that. Oh. But it's also like this weirdly hard thing to do. Mm. Like it's because it requires someone to go like, you know, I know this is maybe going to seem a little bit airy fairy or a bit spiritual to some of you all, but um, we're going to give it a go. (laughs) And luckily Ben is clearly, I don't know Ben that well, but clearly he's a a guy who really believes in, believes in it. Mm. So it requires someone like that to, to push Mm. it and to Mm. to make sure it continues to happen Mm. and people do it properly. It doesn't really work, I guess, if, you know, some a boss of a company doesn't believe in it, but has been told by someone that it can work and to give it a go, because mm. maybe they'll try it once or twice. Yeah. But it requires them to be vulnerable as well. And mm. if they're not willing to do it, then no one's going to do it. Anyway, it, I just really loved that. I've never heard of that technique before. It's amazing, isn't oh, it? That mm. check-in. It's such a good idea. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I'd I'd enjoy my workplace more. You'd feel you'd feel great in it because mm. you. I know you feel like people get you. It feels a bit more like family, maybe. Oh, yeah. Like, imagine if you were, like... Imagine, like, being a chef or a cook or washing dishes or whatever, and you walk into Attica. It's, like, one of the best restaurants in... Mm. Probably the best restaurant in Australia. Mm. This huge reputation. You'd be so nervous. You don't want to fuck up. Mm-hmm. You want to make a good impression. But imagine if on your first day you walked into that and then some, like the chef and she's been working there for let's say like five years she reveals something about herself that makes her human not Mm. just the scary chef Mm. it would just make the experience so much easier and it would take all those pressures away that aren't real but it's just your fear getting the better of you yeah yeah it's great yeah i've only met him once and he just seems like the loveliest down-to-earth kindest Mm. just really good people yeah yeah he's, he seems awesome yeah. yeah man that's that's so cool thanks for sharing that yeah oh that's on, right. oh, i mean we should on thank behalf him. of yeah <laughs> I, hope, <laughs> I hope he doesn't mind yeah um man that's so cool thank you thanks for is there anything else you want to talk about i feel like we, we could talk all night but also i know your time's costly and this yeah, is costing me a lot of money man i've got to get home and just look at my phone on the couch I really should truly really should get home and just look at my phone on the couch by myself <laughs> Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, mm. I don't think so. I, I feel like I've just... Yeah, man, you've said so much gold. Just vomited out a bunch of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it resonates with someone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, man. Oh, thank you, Jez. And thank you for doing this podcast. It's brilliant. 